God's word. So let's just lift up a prayer for the sermon. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can delve into your living word. We thank you that the wisdoms and the mysteries of your living word come alive in us. And we pray, Father, that you would speak to our hearts, you speak to our, our bodies even, that you, we would take and apply and learn from your godly words. So, Father, take control of your servant. May I speak your words in Jesus' precious and mighty name. Amen. So this morning, I would like us to explore about having a love for God's word. But to do this, I want to look at a well-known psalm. And before you think, it's Psalm 23. It's not. It's Psalm 119. So we'll start with an overview of this well-read psalm. So this psalm contains 176 verses and is the longest single chapter in the Bible. The author is unknown, but most scholars agree it's written by someone who suffered great troubles and tribulations, but trusted God to come through them. It's an expansion of Psalm 19, verses 7 to 9, and it follows an acrostic pattern. Acrostic pattern. It is a prayer that contains many elements, and it almost, in almost every verse it refers to the word of God. It uses eight different terms to describe the word of God. Prominent themes include the word of God is all-sufficient, trusting God's character, his plan and purposes for mankind, a love and reliance on the word of God, to encourage us to live a lifestyle of obedience to the Lord. It reflects the persecution and affliction that the children of God will face, and it affirms that God's word reflects his very nature and character. I've only listed a few, but I'm sure there's more. It shows his righteousness that he's trustworthy, truthful and faithful, never changing, eternal. He is light, for there's no darkness in him, and he's pure in every way. There have been many debates on who is the author of this psalm. Some say David wrote this psalm, while others, who are more modern commentators, feel it could be written after the exile by Ezra or Daniel or Nehemiah. But all agree it was by someone who loved the prayer, who loved prayer and had endured and overcome many trials by the hand of God at work in their lives through his word. We know it was written over a period of time and compiled together as one psalm, so each section may not link to one another, but each brings a truth about God's word in its own right. It includes prayers for requests for wisdom, praise, obedience, lament, which is crying or weeping, and vindication. The psalm is constructed in an acrostic pattern based on the alphabetical order of the Hebrew alphabet. This is the Hebrew alphabet. Don't know if you can see it properly, but... So it's made up of 22 sections or stanzas, and each section consists of eight verses. If you want to do the maths, that is 176. What makes this acrostic is each of the eight verses begins with the letter of the Hebrew letter the stanza represents. So the first stanza was Aleph. So that one. And each verse starts with this letter. Now that's quite clever to make sure that every verse in 176 verses starts with each one of these characters. (laughs) 
Its main focus is God's word and glorifying God so it refers to scripture many times. God's word is referred to in almost every verse with some debates whether between two and five verses not making a reference to it. These eight words are used as references to God's word. This psalm is the longest chapter in the Bible and can be found near enough halfway through it. So if you literally go to halfway through the Bible, you will find Psalm 119. So eight words. The law, which is the most common, which represents the first five books of the Bible, the Torah. But this word is also translated as teaching or revelation. God's word, his spoken and revealed word, but also the judgments and testimonies, which are judgments or rulings, but also relates to the word witness or being loyal to God's covenant promises. There are his commandments and his statutes, so they tell us what we should do, and also the God-given laws to God's people. They reflect his precepts, which are guidelines or instructions, and his spoken word, so it's anything that's spoken by God, commanded, or promised. Many Christians of note have meditated, memorized, and stated the blessings they have received from it such as John Calvin, David Livingston, Martin Luther, John Ruskin, Charles Spurgeon, and Charles Spurgeon preached 22 sermons on this subject, and William Wilberforce, who was the famous politician who abolished slavery in Britain. Charles Spurgeon liked Psalm 119 so much, he said, we might do well to commit it to memory. George Wishant, Bishop of Edinburgh in the 17th century was condemned to death and was to be executed by hanging. While on the scaffold, he asked for Psalm 119 to be sung as his last request. Before they were able to complete two-thirds of the psalm, his pardon arrived and his life was spared. An example of the power of the word of God. Now, I don't think it's because the length of the psalm was what saved him. It's the power of the word of God that saved him. Now we have the context of this psalm, we will look at the first few stanzas and this well-known psalm and how they encourage a love for God's word. So the overall Psalm 119, is, uh, this is the title of it, is Meditations and Prayers Relating to the Law of God. And the title of our first stanza, Aleph, is the blessedness of those who walk in God's word and the longing to do so. How blessed and favoured by God are those whose way is blameless, those with personal integrity, the upright, the guileless, who walk in the law and who are guided by the precepts and revealed will of God, of the Lord. Sorry. So we are blessed when we walk in the law of the Lord. When we do so, we can begin to live a blameless life with his integrity, which the Lord's love and grace shines out from. Many people would say that living an upright God Upright life for God is boring or dull. But I can tell you that a life lived by God and for God, by his ways, is far from boring and does not suffer from the uncertainty, emptiness or insecurity that living in the world will bring your way at some point without his word. We can live by and through the revelation of God's will and purpose as we continually seek his face and will in all things, being as small, important and unimportant urgent and non-urgent we can seek God through prayer fasting, worship, 
and serving as well as reading his God's his word. But we need to combine these with reading the word to experience the fullness of God's presence and love. Verse 2. Blessed and favoured by God are those who keep his testimonies and who consistently seek him and long for him with all their heart. They do not on righteousness. They walk in his ways. Church, I think we would all agree that God himself is a blessing and he wants us to share in his blessedness. His word shows us the way to share in this. We are blessed when we seek him with our whole heart and through this keep his ways and commandments. We willingly live our life for him according to his ways for our good and the good of others. Charles Spurgeon commented that we should allow God to apprehend our hearts. He also said, strange to say, in scriptural phraseology, a heart may be divided and not broken, and it may be broken but not divided, and yet again it may be broken and be whole, and it never can be whole until it is broken. We will strive to do no wrong because, he wants to st- because we want to stay in the will and presence of God, and he requires this of us to enable us to see, hear, and follow his ways. I believe the infinite mysteries held within God's word are only revealed to those who seek diligently to know more from it and truly want to live a life directed by them. It is not enough for us just to know God's word. We must apply and live by it to enjoy its blessings. A heart and ear that is attentive to God's word and ways is blessed, but will also be a blessing to others. Not just the heart and ear are blessed, but through them the whole body is blessed. God uses the same principle for his church body. If a brother or sister in Christ is blessed with particular gifts or abilities or passions from God, they can be a blessing to the church and the world around us when they continue to live and walk in God's ways and purposes. The lives of those who walk according to God's word become living testimonies to God's goodness and character, for these are seen through their lifestyle and their choices. Verse 4. You have ordained your precepts that we should follow them with careful diligence. Oh, that my ways may be established to observe and keep your statutes, obediently accepting and honouring them. The psalmist understood we need God's help to follow his ways and that we need to strive to be steadfast and obedient to God to walk as we should for him. As I read it, the psalmist considered this not only a pleasure, but an honour to do this. For this is more importantly, he wanted to do it with God. Following and being obedient to God's commands and instructions not only produces blessings, but also honours him. It also opens the door for more of God's grace to be poured into our lives. We need to pray for the ability to obey God's word. Without his grace and mercy at work in us, we will fail to obey his word. God confirms to us again and again when we wholeheartedly follow him and love him, he never leaves us nor forsakes us. And his mighty right hand of power is always at work for us and through us. The psalmist openly shows their complete dependence in God's direction for their life, but also their complete surrender to God's will and way. He has willingly given it all to God because God has shown and proven to him time and time again that he is who he says he is and does what he says he will do and will do as he sees fit to be done. 
He also stresses that we must follow just God's commands and not add our own or others to God's word. We should not bind ourselves with man-made constraints, but dedicate ourselves fully to God's requirements. Verse 6. Then I will not be ashamed when I look with respect to all your commandments as my guide. I will give thanks to you with an upright heart when I learn through discipline your righteous judgments for my transgressions. I shall keep your statutes. Do not utterly abandon me when I fail. The psalmist understood the requirements of being in the presence of, the, of God's holiness and righteousness. He has enjoyed the favour, the grace and mercy and love of God and wants to do nothing that would rob him of this. The psalmist acknowledges their struggles to keep God's way, but he shows humility to ask God for the strength to follow him. He knows being upright before God is on a level beyond us and way above being upright before people or family. Like every believer, the psalmist is challenged by the word of God and its requirements. We all fall short of what is required of us, but God is always gracious and provides the means to live according to his ways. Don't kick yourself about this. Only one man in history was able to fulfill the full requirements of God's word. That was Jesus himself. Just ensure when you do fall short to repent and come back to his perfect word of life. God is always willing to guide us and empower us if we will listen and learn from him. Let me ask you, which is easier or more beneficial? To teach someone who wants to learn or to teach someone who has no intention of receiving your teaching? General question. What do you think is easier? Who says teach someone who wants to learn? Just a show of hands, quick. And those who think teaching someone who does want to learn? Right, no one. Thank, thank you. No one put their hand up. Good. Yes, I would agree with you. The one who wants to learn will at some point be enabled by God to share what they have learned with others. Also, don't you think it's less energy to teach someone who wants to learn? You get tired trying to teach someone who does want to learn, don't you? Right. I'm sure it's not just the parents that are nodding there. Parents, when you thought about having children, did you not consider that you wanted to teach them what you have learned? To teach them not to make the same mistakes you made and how to live. To enjoy a long and healthy good life. God is no different with his children. Church, the world has continued to survive on this simple premise since the beginning of time and it is still at work in our current living. It applies in both human and animal nature. I mean, it's a I would say it's a bit more harsher in animal nature because certain birds, you know, kick the chicks out of the nest. I think if a parent tried to do that with their child, child services would be on the case. But um, I believe the reason God gives us a more uh, subtle way of teaching our children is because he knows how complicated we are. An animal knows once it's out in the nest, it needs to survive on itself and it's got pretty much all the abilities already. So a bird knows it's got wings, at some point it's going to need to fly. We as humans don't, because there's so many different avenues that we could take. A doctor is going to need different skills to a person that's sweeping the road. Both are required, but both need different skill sets. And we we always forget how complicated we are. So we think a problem is easy to fix. No, as humans we're not easy to fix, are we? 
So why do you think it's going to be any easier when someone doesn't convert or someone doesn't understand the word? Always take into consideration. Jesus did, and we also have to do the same. We must learn to be taught by someone to achieve our highest potential because we need to understand we don't individually know everything. There are some in this world that might think that, but they need to learn from someone. But in God, he can and will teach you more than you ever imagined. In verse 7, the writer shows that worship without reverence for the word and the right heart before God is worthless and not worthy of our God's attention. He wants his praise to be acceptable to God. He shows his determination to keep God's word in verse 8, but he's realistic that he will not always do this and ask for God's patience and mercy when he falls short of it. Moving on to the second stanza, which is Beth, which also means house in Hebrew. We should make our heart a home for God's word. So the title of this stanza is The Purity of Life and Meditation on God's Word. Verse 9. How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping watch on himself according to your word, conforming to his life to your precepts. The writer indicated it is good for the young to try and keep to God's way. He is not excluding mature believers in his prayer but emphasising it's better for us to begin walking with God at the earliest opportunity. It also seems to recommend the young don't go and sow their wild oats, as the term goes, going wild in the world, but coming to God and living right before him, rather than following youthful desires and pressures which may cause complications later in life. The foundations for living a life for God starts in his word. It sets the standard for us, determining right from wrong. It cleanses and reveals truth, highlights blessings and curses, and gives reasons why it is good for us. God's word can also overcome temptations, bondages, and insecurities we may have about ourselves. Jesus overcame the devil with the word of God during his temptations in the desert. We can also use his word to defeat the devil and loose people from their bondages. The psalmist implores us to protect and guard what we have learned from God as if our life depended on it. And in reality, it goes beyond this life to include our very eternal souls, which are at stake. But he tells us we can guard ourselves through God's teachings and word. We must guard what we have learned or the enemy will rob us of it. Jesus gave that stark warning to us through the parable of the soils. False teaching Pride, bad attitudes, unforgiveness, past hurts or sin, and that's that's just to name just a few, can also blind us from the effectiveness of God's word in our lives. And the revelations and understandings we once had may become dull when it should be sharp like a two-edged sword. The psalmist urges us to store God's word in our hearts. Why? Because by the power of the Holy Spirit, we will speak his words. Second Psalm Chapter 23, verse 2 says, The Spirit of the Lord spoke by me, and his word was on my tongue. God's word is to be spoken or shared with others, because it brings life to those who would take it to their hearts and give their life over to Jesus. Jeremiah, chapter 20, verse 9, shows sometimes we can't help but speak his word from our hearts. Then I said, I will not make mention of him, nor speak any more in his name. But his word was in my heart like a burning fire, 
shut up in my bones. I was weary of holding it back, and I could not. God's words can do powerful things. It can bring salvation to the lost, hope for those in despair, encouragement and strength for the weary, direction for the uncertain. It cleanses and rebukes those who trust in God and who have faith in God through Jesus. Moving on to verse 10 and 11, it says, With all my heart I have sought you, inquiring of you and longing for you. Do not let me wander from your commandments, neither through ignorance nor by willful disobedience. Your word I have treasured and stored in my heart, that I may not sin against you. The writer shows his passion and dedication to follow God, but also his weakness to maintain it. He used scripture to seek and meet with God. Why does God need us to follow with our whole heart? Well, half-hearted people are not committed and may not stay the distance when trouble comes their way. Wholehearted people will see things through to the end, despite the troubles of this world. They are determined and dedicated despite their questions or doubts. They may challenge or disagree sometimes, but they will still trust or put their trust in something or someone when they are wholeheartedly in it, be it marriage, leadership, working, buying a house, a car, etc. Half-hearted people normally have doubts and second thoughts all the time, and so are normally constantly restless and not at peace in themselves. Wholehearted people are more settled in themselves and the choices they have made committed to. In a nutshell, God wants us to be committed to him with a whole heart, as he has always been wholeheartedly committed to us, even before the beginning of time, and he will remain committed to us beyond the final return of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Trust in and rely confidently on the Lord with all your heart, and do not rely on your own insight or understanding. In all your ways know and acknowledge and recognize him, and he will make your path straight and smooth, removing obstacles that block your way. Now that's a a well-known piece of scripture, but the Amplified adds that last bit. Normally it finishes on, um, I can't remember the versions, I know your ways, know acknowledge and recognize him, and he will make your ways straight. And it stops. But the Amplified shows, but removing obstacles that block your way. Yeah? We, f- we don't hear that bit in most versions. And that's very true of God. How many times do you think there's been something in your way, and all of a sudden it's, be- it's not a problem anymore? And you didn't do anything about it. It's not like you wrote a strong letter to the politician, or got someone sacked hopefully you wouldn't get someone sacked but God is always removing obstacles and block your way and sometimes he needs to remove you out of the way to stop you from blocking yourself God also commands us to be wholehearted for him Deuteronomy chapter 6 from verses 4 and 5 is one of many references to this hear O Israel the Lord our God the Lord is one you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul and with all your strength. The Lord is seeking people whose hearts will hold and obey his word. 1 Samuel 16 verse 7 states, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. 
For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Now this verse is taken from the time when Samuel was sent by God to go and uh, anoint David, who wasn't king yet. But if you wind it back a bit, the reason that he's calling David is because Saul, the one that the people wanted, has done such a bad job. Yeah? God had called Saul, but Saul would not listen to him. Saul would not take his word into his heart. But all the people saw was a long, was a tall, strong-looking, you know, butch Arnold Schwarzenegger figure, and thought, yeah, he's king. He, he'll be all right for us. Yet God goes the opposite direction and looks at a scrawny young boy who's only a shepherd to become his king because he saw his heart and knew that he would receive his word, keep his word, and obey his word. <coughs> Job also recommended holding and treasuring God's word in our, in our hearts. Job 23 verse 12 says, I have not departed from the commandment of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. God's word reveals the Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And without their work in us, we cannot see this truth or be empowered by their wisdom, grace, and love. It is not enough to know God's word. We must believe it wholeheartedly, as John 14.1 implies. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. The psalmist also recognized that having God's word within our hearts, not recognized, having God's word within our hearts, not just our minds, will steer us out of trouble when we heed it. We are more able to bring it to mind when we meditate or memorize his truth. Coming back to Psalm 119 from verse 12. Blessed and reverently praised are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I have told of all the ordinances of your mouth. I have rejoiced in the way of your testimonies as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and thoughtfully regard your ways, the path of life established by your precepts. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. The writer expresses praise to God for sharing these revelations to him and asks God to continue to teach him in them. We must continue to humbly approach God to show, to show us and teach us his ways. Like Jesus' parables of the priceless pearl and the hidden treasures in a field, the psalmist recognises the great value of God's word, the value of meditation of it and the delight he gains from it. Moving on to our last stanza, Gimel which consists of prayers for blessings, to keep to God's word, and for insight, revelation, and refuge in his word. The title for this stands of the word of God and the trials of life. Deal bountifully with your servant, that I may live and keep your word, treasuring it and being guided by it day by day. Open my eyes to spiritual truth, so that I may behold wonderful things from your law. I am a stranger on the earth, do not hide your commandments from me. My soul is crushed with longing for your ordinances at all times. You rebuke the presumptuous and arrogant, the cursed ones who wander from your commandments. Take reproach and contempt away from me, for I observe your testimonies. Even though princes sit and talk to one another against me, your servant meditates on your statutes. Your testimonies also are my delight and my counsellors. These prayers show the thoughts of a person enduring trials, but desiring to maintain what is most precious to him, 
his relationship with God and living by God's word. The psalmist humbly requests that God blesses him with whatever he needs to keep God's word, showing his true dependence on God for this. He asks that God help him see what he needs to see through his word. For us as believers today, we would ask the Holy Spirit to open our eyes to the mysteries that God's word holds for us. God can give us a sense of wonder through his word, as it seems to come alive before our eyes and within our hearts. When his truth is revealed to us, we should feel blessed and highly favoured, as many throughout the ages have not seen what we've been exposed to. Let me just go on a side panel here. How many of us enjoy reading a good book? Thriller, comedy, yeah? A few hands, a few hands, yeah? And don't you, when you're really into the book, get immersed into it? Like you're, you're part of the, you've seen it for the character's eyes or you're there behind the character, like a film, yeah? Now just imagine you're doing that with the living word. That you're living in that situation. Now some of the stories in the Bible are a bit more horrific than others. So you may not want to step into that situation. But there are certainly plenty of examples in the Bible where if you stepped into that situation, you would feel a greater impact. Yeah? It wouldn't just be words on the page. It would be something real. Yeah? That's the sort of situation we find. And we get that sense of wonder. So just imagine that you're there with Moses and you're, you're looking at the wall of water that's being held back as they walk through yeah? No special effects. No Steven Spielberg. No Sesame B. DeMille. Just God's power at work. Yeah? That time when a slingshot kills a giant. No WWF. It's just David doing what God called him to do. Jesus Christ healing the sick. What if we were there with him? He's still doing it today. It's not stopped. It's still happening. Believers have been healed, raised from the dead. All of that's happening. But what if you were there when Jesus did it? Explore the word. God's word never needs to change. It is us through God's word that will change. But there will always be something to learn from it, no matter how old or close we grow towards God. Prayer is important in any Bible study. And we should be asking God to help us see new things through his word, to help us live and survive on earth. We don't belong on this earth, but we need to know how to navigate our way through it till Jesus comes for us. Church, do you ever have moments when you see a situation or meet a person and wish, you were a Christ- wish they were a Christian or just apply some godly wisdom to the situation? The psalmist also feels this frustration when everyone around you is doing contrary to what God would do. And wants you to do. You will feel alone. But remember you are never alone when Jesus is with you. We may experience reproach. Contempt and slander. For keeping God's word. But we will by God's hand. Come through this for his glory. The writer takes comfort. That those who would work against God's word. Even those in authority over us. Will be rebuked by God when he sees fit. He asks God to remove him from their presence. Or supply them with the strength to deal with them in their presence. Again, many a time, be careful what you pray for. Because God listens. He'll act. 
but he may not act in how you wanted him to act. So you may be in a situation and you're saying, God, deliver me from this situation. But God says, not yet, not yet. Because he wants you to grow in that situation. He doesn't want you to come away from that not learning something. So that's maybe why you are in that situation. That may be why you're facing persecution. Because he's toughening you up. I know it's like I'm using the boxing analogy here. When the boxers are being trained, they don't go to the TGI Fridays and have a party, do they? The trainer normally takes them to a desolate stop and beats the living so-and-so's out of him to toughen him up. And sometimes we need that. Spiritually, we need to toughen up. And we can't do that unless we face a challenge. Let's get back to the good news then. Even after this, the psalmist ends his prayer showing his delight in God's word and acknowledges they counsel him. You'll be glad to hear that we'll not be going through the remaining 154 verses of this psalm. But I hope this is giving you a desire to further explore this eye-opening, encouraging and challenging scripture. I'll just give an acknowledgement here. The reason I started exploring Psalm 119 is because there was one Tuesday night. I was asking my group, uh, how do you start the day? And one of my ladies, I'll name her Flo, says, read Psalm 119. Now, I didn't realise Psalm 119 was 176 verses. But she starts the day reading Psalm 119. You know, what a way to start the day. Don't worry, I'm not asking you to read 176 verses every day. There is an alternative. I'll come on to that later. Are there any challenges to enjoying the word of God? We had a debate in the same small group one Tuesday about a news item where prison inmates were using pages from the Bible to make cigarettes and whether it was sacrilege to use Bibles this way. I feel it is the words within the Bible that are powerful, not the physical book itself. I agree most Christians would find this offensive and want this stopped. But the strength and power of God's word is not the physical pages of the Bible, but the power and authority of the words within it, and the power of God to allow people to see these within his word. So those against God and his word may try to burn it, destroy it, hide it, and even outlaw it. But God's word always finds a way to express itself. And be heard by the people who it is for and needed by. I watched an interesting documentary about Henry VI, Six Wives, last week. And his last wife, Catherine Parr, wanted to have the Bible translated into English. Because at that time it was only produced in Latin due to the king's Catholic background and his leanings. Even though he did want to move away from that and create his own church. He wanted the truth of God to only be known to the gentry. That's the rich people, you know, the aristocracy. And privileged people who could read and write. It would only it would be one of his daughters, Queen Elizabeth, well, she wasn't queen at the time, but Elizabeth I, who would begin this translation, which did not go down well with the king when he was alive. She, but she would remain a strong advocate for Christianity in this country. But not even the most powerful man in this country at that time could stop the outbreak of God's word to the masses. A message of hope for those who have lost hope, a message of salvation for the lost, 
and a message of redemption for the unloved, persecuted, and fallen. God's word will lose none of its power or impact, regardless of the language, translation, or format it is written or presented in, for it is alive and active beyond the words of the page. Coming back to the, the, ish, uh, the concern that was raised about Bibles being burned, how many of us read the Bible now on our phones? Good chunk of us, yeah? So when that first started, people in churches started to kick off, didn't they? They said, people can't see you with your Bible, you ain't reading it. And how many of us would have been walking about with our big Bibles but didn't pick it up for the rest of the week? Just because you've got this here, don't mean you're using it. You've got to be using it. It's no point having it if you ain't using it. So it's not, regardless of the format it's in, you've got to be using it. God's word shows his love, grace, mercy, power and character through the lives of real people in real situations. It shows love, power, greed, lust, hate, Faithfulness, courage, devotion, etc. If you want true drama, you don't need to turn the TV on. Just read some of the stories in the Bible. What I can assure you is that whatever you read, there is always a moral or lesson to be learned through it. A quote from Pastor James Smith. Beware of slighting, despising or neglecting the Bible. Read it daily, pray over it incessantly and meditate on what it reveals continually. So why is it so important to know and love God's word? Timothy writes that the word of God is necessary to make us wise, able to train us in righteousness, and equip us for every good work. 2 Timothy chapter 3 verses 15 to 17. And how from childhood you have known the sacred writings, Hebrew scriptures, which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus, surrendering your entire self to him, and having absolute confidence in his wisdom, power, and goodness. Oops. All scripture is God-breathed, given by divine inspiration, and is profitable for instruction, for conviction of sin, for correction of error, and restoration to obedience, for training in righteousness, learning to live in conformity to God's will, both publicly and privately, behaving honorably with personal integrity and moral courage, so that the man of God the man meaning general man and woman, may be complete and proficient, outfitted and thoroughly equipped for every good work. We should love God's word and explore in it as we get to know the Holy Trinity better for it and they lavish us with their wisdom and love to learn more about them and to teach us to share these riches with others. God wants many others to enjoy the riches of knowing and loving him through his son Jesus Christ, empowered by his Holy Spirit. Charles Spurgeon lists eight marks of true love for God's word. Reverence for the authority of God's word, admiration for its holiness, jealousy for its honour, respect for all that it says, diligence in the study of it, eager desire to obey it, a readiness to praise it, and God's great desire to share it with others. So my last point today. Qualities of God's word. So in summary... These, for me, are some of the key qualities of God's word for us as believers. It counsels. It shows us how to and how not to handle life. It teaches. It shows history, 
and life lessons. It corrects, it speaks to hearts and not to heads. It challenges, it brings conviction and repentance. It releases, bringing forgiveness, freedom and revelation. It reveals God's characteristics, to name but a few. Truth, wisdom, grace, mercy, love, power. It is relevant for every age. It is the eternal word of God. The world and its people may change, but God's true word remains the same. And it reveals God's eternal plan of salvation for those who would follow his son, Jesus Christ. When you love God's word, you desire it to be alive in you and in others, and you always want to learn more from it. We have to be careful, though, to treasure the word of God. We need it to trust it wholeheartedly, meditate and delight in it, and act upon it by God's grace in us and declare it to others. Now this was this, uh, what I was saying about a shortcut. Rather than reading 176 verses, I'll give you three that you might be able to memorise. Psalm 19, 7 to verse 9. As I said at the beginning, this is the summary version of the 176 versions of Psalm 119. The law of the Lord is perfect, flawless, restoring and refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are reliable and trustworthy, make wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, bringing joy to the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true, they are righteous altogether. So church, let's try to spend more time in the word of God and meditate or memorize scripture you find useful to stay close to him. God wants you to enjoy his word and not to see it as a chore. What changes do you need to make to ensure this happens? I know for myself, I started to change the time that I read scripture. What I was doing was doing whatever I needed to do and then at the end of the day, try to read my Bible. Not very successfully because normally the Bible is reading me because I've gone to sleep. So I made a change, and I said, every morning, first thing, I'll pick up my phone, and I'll do a verse for the day. And that became a habit, and I do that all the time now. Simple. I'm not talking like a meerkat. I'm just saying it's a simple change that you can make to make sure some of the word of God is coming to your life. So I pray, Lighthouse, let us continue to explore the riches of God's word and increase our love for it. And may we continue to take great pleasure in what God reveals to us through it. Please allow his word to change what needs to be changed. To empower you to make changes to live a life pleasing to our Lord. And to endure what life will throw at us according to his will and purposes. For the glory of his name and for his kingdom. So a quick prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your living word. We thank you that your grace and mercy is so sufficient. And that you provide everything that we need here on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, this word has had many translations, many languages it has been written in. But the power of it never, never ebbs away. Father, that's because you are alive through this living word. And Lord, we need to make it alive in us. But Lord, we need those tools. We need the strength. We need the courage sometimes to take your word and apply it. So Lord, help us by your grace and mercy. As the psalmist did, 
Help us to ask humbly to approach your throne of glory for everything that we need, especially to learn more about you through this living word. So Lord, just have your way in Jesus' precious name. Amen.